you either had from your childhood growing up, or now that we're all sort of varying degrees of grown-ups uh, that we have in our own homes now, what sort of traditions, what sort of things that we do get you excited for the festive season? As I was saying to someone earlier on, in our house growing up, um, it was always the second Saturday in December. Uh, what we did was we went to get our Christmas tree from the guy who ran the vegetable shop down the road. And he always stuck Christmas trees, even though he did not have the space in his shop to stock them. And so what would happen invariably is that we would be coming home in the car with this Christmas tree that had half its needles missing because people had been pushing past it to try and get their parsnips or whatever was next to it. But that was Christmas. You know, it was the sign that Christmas was really near. And there were other things as well, probably a couple of years, whenever I was in university, a bunch of us on our last night of term, we used to play cards and we used to sing Fairy Tale of New York at midnight. And those are some pretty beautiful memories, if I'm honest. It's not the carol service that Paddy took for. <laughs> but it's different for each of us. My brother, he um, he, he has an addiction to Coca-Cola. I was going to say he's a Coke addict, but that's a really good thing to say. So just to clarify, he loves Coca-Cola. And so he, he is very much of the, uh, of the understanding that Christmas doesn't begin until he hears the holidays are coming. I'm not going to sing it because nobody needs that. But I'm sure as you're thinking, you all have your own experiences and your own traditions and those things that you remember so fondly growing up that that bring a smile to your face and a warm, fuzzy feeling inside you because these things announce to us, consciously or subconsciously, that Christmas is almost here. And accordingly, what we do is we then begin to take the preparations for it a little more seriously. In the biblical text that we've had this morning, the sense of announcing is very present. Whether it's Paul announcing himself to his brothers and sisters in Philippi in the wilderness of his prison, whether it's Zechariah announcing God's faithfulness in the Benedictus, Malachi announcing that God is sending a saviour, or John announcing the imminent arrival of this Messiah of God, using the words from Isaiah 40 that we saw in our text. And as you can imagine, just as an aside, I was so thrilled to find out that I was going to have to dive into Isaiah, however briefly, in front of Dr. Heffelfinger today. However, as they say, the show must go on. Because the inescapable reality is that the lectionary seems to be very deliberately trying to announce something to us. So let's take a look and see what that might be. When I first sat down to prepare this a couple of weeks ago, honestly I was kind of hoping we'd all be very full and sleepy so you'd be tuning out and dozing off um, so you wouldn't be paying too much attention to what I'm saying. But the Christmas sense of that kind of took over and uh, emboldened by these Christmas thoughts, I always like the name sermon kind of gives me a focal point. I don't know how you do your process, but I kind of decided that I was going to name this Walking in a Wilderness Wonderland. And again, I'm not going to sing the Christmas song um, because, again, nobody needs to hear it. But as I kept reading these texts, I kept being drawn back uh, to the second half of verse 2 in our Gospel passage, which says, The Word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And so this is going to be the pivot of our thoughts today. And we're going to consider this idea of what it means when it says that the Word of God came. The Word of God came to John. The Word of God comes to us. And then we're going to look at this idea of wilderness. For it does feature so prominently in these texts, whether above the surface or below it. And as much as we really often fear and loathe the idea of wilderness moments in our lives, these texts, I believe, can say a lot to us. Firstly, as followers of Jesus, but secondly, as ordinance training for ministry, and conversely, 
I suppose, those people who train working man's for ministry. So, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And as Luke shapes this narrative of who John is, we don't get the same kind of detail uh, about camel hair and locusts as we do in Matthew's presentation of John. Instead, we have this, the word of God came to John. And this in itself seems to be as much of a description as Luke feels he needs to give us about John, because to the intended reader, this places him in a certain level of company. It puts him alongside Abraham, Samuel, Nathan, Solomon, Elijah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, all to whom the word of the Lord came. So Luke's pointing out to us here that John is not just out there doing his own thing, nor is he simply some sort of anti-establishment Jew unhappy with the status quo of how things are going. Because the words that he say, they carry a divine weight to them. And so the calls for the repentance for the forgiveness of sins are not the ramblings of some sort of madman out in the wilderness, but they announce to us the type of mindset that we must first have and what we must first come to in our relationship with God. Where we need to acknowledge our frailty of will. Where it's often so easy to do the wrong thing or perhaps even easier just to do nothing at all. Where we've become complicit in the status quo of this world that sees all too often us ignore the cries of our fellow created beings while we rest in realm of comfort. Because we need to seek that repentance in order for God to begin what Paul refers to in his letter to the Philippians as the good work among us. And it's against this backdrop of the need of repentance that we, we see something really startling because as sinful and fallen human beings, um, we have this thing that comes to us, and it's the Word of God. The Word of God came to them. And this isn't like somebody chucking a Bible at your head, like my GCSE RE teacher once attempted to do. I'll maybe tell that story at lunch because it's not a story for now, but this coming of the Word of God is actually, it's a revelation. Okay? It's a presence that impacts us. But it's more than this because it's the creator of the universe seeking us out. Wanting us to be in relationship with him. The word of God comes to us by being attuned to the character of God. Because this word of God, this logos, it's relational and it's reciprocal. And as we give our worship to God, this transformational spirit works within us, continually shaping and molding us and refining us, as we heard from Malachi, into people who speak with the voice of God. People who can announce to the world that there's a better way, a more hopeful way, a more loving way. And so ourselves, and our challenge to ourselves is to be ready to be people who can be shaped to receive the word of God in our lives. And I suppose what's really interesting about this uh, when we take it on is that where the word of God comes to John, which is in the wilderness, and John isn't alone in receiving the word of God in the wilderness, encountering God. We're familiar with God's call on Moses. The Israelites wandered the wilderness for years. David, fearing Saul, fled into the wilderness. The word of God came to Elijah in the wilderness, having fled from Ahab. Wilderness is mentioned 287 times in the Old Testament, and 48 in the New. Now, granted, some of that is using Old Testament uh, references. But nevertheless, for wilderness to be mentioned this often, our Bibles, it makes it so much more than some sort of geographical generality. That's actually harder to say than I thought when I was typing it, but if, <laughs> if it's not a geographical generality, just to prove I could do it, 
then what actually is this wilderness? Well, I think firstly, our experience of wilderness, we need to acknowledge that it's a place where we lack something. You see, Moses fled from his royal status and privileges into the wilderness where he became nothing but a man with the clothes on his back. Elijah fled the city into the wilderness where he began to lack sustenance. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, he's writing from a prison. And so he lacks the physical means to do the work that God, he feels that God's calling him to. He's in a wilderness, unsure of how to do what he feels called to. When we dive into Isaiah, we see depictions of wilderness. Well, they show us that there are things that lack order. They lack beauty. They lack anything that leads to flourishing. The wilderness is devoid of those things that lull us into comfort. It takes away our daily rhythms. It takes away our plans, our focus. And in doing so, the wilderness very much can become a place of disorientation. And in this disorientation, we wander around and we can either search for a way back to how things were or we can search for a way out. And if we're honest, wilderness periods in our lives are things that we try our utmost to avoid because they make us feel completely and utterly useless. And when we find ourselves in these times, we usually try to fill them with different things, distractions, busyness, things that we can control or see progress in. And I think these almost past two years has seen us all to varying degrees in the wilderness of sorts, whether personally, professionally, or both. We find ourselves disorientated, lost, frustrated, unsure and unable to do those things that we feel that God is calling us to do at times. And so how do we respond? Well, are we like the guys in those old Western movies that used to be on BBC Two on a Saturday afternoon? Those people who found themselves lost in the wilderness, who wandered around, seeking a way out desperately until eventually, just overwhelmed by the desolation of all, they hit the ground and that's then done? Or, or can we reframe what a wilderness actually because as our scriptures show us, the wilderness can be something totally different entirely. Because the reality is, from reading our scriptural texts, the wilderness is a place to encounter God. Abraham, Moses, Elijah, John, and others besides, they all encounter God in the wilderness in a way that changes their journeys and their stories forever. The wilderness is a place where distractions and comforts cease to be, so God's voice can be heard. And if we're in a wilderness, we find ourselves just before God, if we've encountered him there. It's a place where we can let down our defenses, our pride. We can surrender our status. And sometimes most difficult of all is those burdens of expectations that are on us. And what we can do then is we can simply be what we were created to be, a child of God. And what the wilderness then becomes is a place of dependence. As the Israelites or Elijah depended on God for sustenance, so we depend on God. We depend on God for direction in our lives, for peace, for wisdom, for assurance. Because this wilderness time then becomes formational. It's where God makes us and remakes us more and more in days like this. And in doing so, we then be able to, we begin to be able to see things from a new perspective, a godly perspective. And what I find really interesting uh, from the gospel passage is that John clearly isn't in the kind of Australian outback kind of wilderness. He's just on the outskirts of town. 
Otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to have those people drawn to him. But there is something about being just outside our comforts, just outside our familiarities, just outside our usual way of seeing things that helps us gain a whole new perspective. Joel Green uh, has a really excellent commentary on Luke, and he writes about this, saying, clearly John's wilderness is not outside the public eye. And these observations that he's making pretend to a common collision between him, those who, sorry, that come between him and those who possess power and privilege in his world. You see, as people who encounter God, as people who are dependent on God, people who are shaped by God, our perspective shifts and helps us to see the world as God intends it to be, not as it is. See, our world is one where those who have exploit those who have not, where the powerful pursue more power at the expense of the powerless. Whereas God's kingdom says, blessed are the poor and hungry. That's why John, just a couple of verses later on in this gospel passage, uh, calls for those with an extra cloak to give it to someone who has none. And he commands tax collectors not to take more than they are due. It's a seismic shift in how the world works, this perspective. And it's only possible to see it when we truly understand and are immersed in the values of the kingdom of God. And then this leads us to a realization because actually these wilderness moments, if we've reframed them, can become quite comfortable, can become quite reassuring, can become quite necessary. And there's a temptation to stay there. But actually we have to then realize that our wilderness is not our destination. You see, every period of wilderness in our Bibles comes to an end somehow in fulfillment of God's purposes. John goes back into the town, into the surrounding areas to share that good news. And it's our calling and our joy as people on this journey to see the words of Isaiah come alive in our world today. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. As we go back into the world this afternoon, as we emerge, because this place can be a bit of a wilderness, wonderful retreat at times, but as we emerge from our wildernesses back into the world, we do so going into the world knowing that the word of God surrounds us and sustains us. It allows us to announce the goodness of God through our words and actions to those around us. And we do, as we do this, we trust in God to do more than we could possibly imagine or think. But the one who will bring this good work, his good work, in us to completion, will be the same one who makes deserts run with water, who makes life abundant and makes it good, where all things are made new and the wilderness really does become that wonderland. So let's cherish these wilderness moments as we go back into the world. And as we do, may the word of God come to us, may it strengthen us, may it sustain us, shape us, and send.